Well, I'm excited to get into God's Word with you today. If you have your Bibles or you're following along on an app, we're going to be looking at the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. If you can choose your translation, we're going to be looking at the English Standard Version of that text. Habakkuk, chapter 2, is the reading of God's Word. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, with scoffing and riddles for him, and say woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk, in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Amen. Well, last week we started a short series in the book of Habakkuk, and it's this short but rich book in the Old Testament that basically teaches us how to face difficult times. And on some level, the world in which the prophet Habakkuk lived was very different from the world we live in today. But on another level, it wasn't so different at all. You had war, you had disease, you had imminent economic collapse, and you had a people who were genuinely wondering if God was there. And last week we looked at Habakkuk chapter 1, where the prophet essentially directs his frustrations directly at God regarding all the things that are happening in his nation. And God responds and he says, I'm sorry to say this, but it's, getting, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. 
And if you've been watching the news right now, that's pretty much what all of us are hearing, that it's going to get worse before it gets better. But to Habakkuk's dismay, God doesn't leave it at that. Not only does he say it's going to get worse before it gets better, but he says the very instrument I'm going to use to accomplish my purposes are none other than those wicked, corrupt, evil Babylonians. And Habakkuk isn't having it. At the beginning of chapter 2, you have Habakkuk basically saying, yeah, that's not the answer I was looking for, so I'm just going to sit, station myself at this watch post, and I'm going to wait a little bit longer until you give me a better answer than that. And when God finally does answer here in verse 2, notice what he says. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Meaning what I'm about to tell you, I want you to write this down. And I want you to mark my words. Because you may be waiting for a while before you see what I'm going to do. But don't think for a minute that I'm just going to sweep evil and wickedness under the rug. The Babylonians are absolutely going to have their day of reckoning. And yes, I know that I often use things that are really bad to produce things that are really good. But evil never has the final word with me. And in verses 5 to 20, you basically have God telling Habakkuk exactly what's going to happen to the Babylonians. In verse 8, he says, Because they've plundered many nations, the remnant of the people shall plunder them. In verse 15, he says, Because they've exposed and shamed people, the cup in the Lord's right hand is going to come around and shame them. In verse 17, he says, The violence they've committed to other people will be done to them. And God is saying, you can write that down and you can take that to the bank because it's going to happen. I'm going to execute my justice. But for now, wait. Just wait. Notice what he says. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You know, and waiting is a theme that we see all throughout Scripture. Over and over and over again, we see this peculiar phrase, wait on the Lord. And the interesting thing is, uh, we see this phrase not when times are good. We typically see this phrase when times are bleak and hopeless. In one of the most gut-wrenching books of the Bible, the book of Lamentations, which is pretty much pure misery from beginning to end, you have this moment in chapter 3 when the prophet Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet, who's probably weeping when he writes these very words, says this. He says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. In other words, there's something about waiting on the Lord in our times of greatest pain and uncertainty that is the mark of true faith. Now here's why that's so hard. We live in maybe the most impatient generation ever. We live in the Amazon Now generation. We live in a generation marked by instant communication, instant information, and instant gratification. It's not enough to have something, we need to have it now. And I'm sorry to say this to you Gen Zers who are tuning in, but according to all the most recent studies, your attention spans are now officially lower than that of a goldfish. 8.25 seconds to be exact. 
and I can confirm this with qualitative data. All week long, as I've been quarantined with my kids, if I think about the one word I've said the most, it's this word, wait. Wait your turn. Wait for mommy and daddy. Wait until we're finished eating. Wait. So as a society, we're getting worse and worse at waiting, and yet time and time again, God tells his people to wait. Well, what does waiting on the Lord produce in us? And I think we get two insights from this text. The first is this, waiting exposes our pride. It exposes our pride. Notice what God says to Habakkuk right after he tells him to wait. Right here in verse 4, he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. In other words, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are puffed up with pride, who desire to control God, who believe God exists to give them what they want when they want it. And there are those who live by faith, who wait on the Lord even when God seems silent. And I think all of us know what waiting feels like, whether it's waiting for a job, waiting to get married, waiting to have kids. We know that waiting takes faith. But I think the more upset we get when God doesn't answer us the way we want him to, when we want him to, the more it exposes our underlying belief that God exists solely to meet our personal demands. Okay, so first, waiting exposes our pride. But number two, waiting produces in us a posture of humility and dependence. Okay, Uh, one of the things my wife can attest to Uh, Nothing in this world makes me angrier than waiting on the phone with a customer service agent. Nothing. And the most excruciating part of it, after that person picks up and says, hello, please hold, is that from that moment on, I'm at their will. It doesn't matter how many times I yell at my phone or mutter under my breath, Until that annoying classical music stops and until I'm taken off hold, the ball is in their court. And so what do I do? Even when I'm super angry, my ear is glued to my phone because I don't want to miss the moment when the agent comes back. And it's the same thing with God. That when we wait on the Lord, we're reminded that we're not in charge. That we're at God's will. That, we're, that the ball is in God's court. And that produces in us a posture of dependence. Now, as difficult as waiting on the Lord can be, as followers of Jesus, we can be absolutely certain and absolutely confident that ultimately God will deliver on his promises. And here's why. If you notice, this entire chapter is God telling Habakkuk what's going to happen to these wicked people that they're going to be put to shame, that there's going to be violence and bloodshed, that they're going to have to drink the cup of God's wrath. And if you didn't notice it already, by they, God means everyone, all of us. Notice the way this text ends uh, in verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Meaning no one, not even Habakkuk, not you, not me, can plead a case for righteousness in the presence of a holy God when the Lord sits in his holy temple. 
So God says, yeah, I'm going to deal with everyone and I'm going to deal with all the evil in the world. But as followers of Jesus, we know how he did that. And the way he, choose, way he chose to do that is what is so profound. Because in Philippians chapter 2, we read that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself of his glory. That this God who silences the entire earth took on human flesh and stood silent when he was accused, when he was beaten, and ultimately hung on a cross. Jesus took upon his shoulders the shame we deserved. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath that all of us deserved. Which is why in the cross we have absolute assurance that though we wait, God will deliver on his promises. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I know many of us are waiting right now, waiting for all of this to be over, waiting for conditions to improve, waiting for our lives to get back to normal, and I know that waiting isn't pleasant. But let me close by reading this encouragement for us from Isaiah chapter 40. It's one of my favorite verses. It says this, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen.